Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode coming to you a day later than usual, Wednesday instead of Tuesday, one day before the NFL Draft of 2021, where the Jets have two picks in the first round, and it is an exciting time. I want it to be a day closer to the draft and have one final draft preview episode, button all the ideas and hypotheses and rumors up, and then we can go into tomorrow, watch the draft, and instead of waiting a week after Tuesday instead of doing my bi-weekly episodes in the offseason that I've been doing, I'm actually going to do a podcast on Tuesday breaking down the players that we have, just so it's a little bit more fresh, so we can get a little bit more of a breakdown and recap. And I'm going to have so many thoughts swirling in my head on, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, just thinking about the players that we drafted and what that means for Joe Douglas and for Michael LaFleur and Jeff Albrecht and this team and what direction are we headed and all that. I'm going to want to get stuff out. So it's going to be Tuesday, and uh, I hope you're all here for that. But this episode today is going to be, I'm going to try to keep it short because in reality, this is one of my least favorite types of podcasts to do because it's not based off of any real analysis of anything or any breakdowns of stuff that's happened. It's just hypotheticals about things that could happen. And the way that I see it, I look through the GM's eyes, I look through the DC, the OC, and the head coach's eyes and everything, but there's a million ways to build a team. And I know a lot of people like to look at the Shanahan offense or Robert Sala's past teams and think that, well, we're just going to build the old Texans or the old 49ers or the old Seahawks where these guys were in place on coaching staffs. But that's not the case. When you find a guy that you think you can work with that fits, that's what you go after. And sometimes you're one of these coaches, maybe a Michael LaFleur who's under a Kyle Shanahan, and you like 95% of what he does, but there's that 5% and you're like, you know, I always wish we had a blank that we just don't have in this offense. And maybe you want to go out and get that, and that's a, a big deal to you because these coaching trees, they all start from somewhere, and these are not all the same team. They do split. They do have their own ideas and identities. We don't know ours entirely yet, but we will find it out. And, you know, I've watched at this point probably about 175 prospects from the college, uh, the college class to various degrees. Some of them I've watched hours on full games, watching highlights, breakdowns, reading about them, weaknesses, strengths, and other stuff. Other guys I've watched five, six, seven minutes of highlights just to get a feel for their play style, what they do, what kind of player are we looking at here. Some of those are the later round guys, but every once in a while a guy stands out to me and I say, well, I kind of like this guy for what I would like the Jets to do, but I understand that they don't always go that route. Last year, guys that I had on my list, and my, I probably went through about 130 players, and guys that I really wanted on my list were Mekhi Becton, Denzel Mims, and Bryce Hall. And we got those three guys, Ashton Davis, LaMichael Pirine, those guys I wasn't really interested in at the time, but we got them. Like them more now, maybe not Pirine so much, but I like Ashton Davis a lot. And that's just kind of how it goes. There's no way to lock and load and narrow it in on guys that, oh, I, I'm not one of those people that stamps my foot and it's like, we need to get this guy in this round. This is the way that it needs to be built. Because that's just frankly not true. And the people that are saying that stuff that have a lot less information on the medical histories and have done less scouting on these players and being there, seeing how they lead and what kind of locker room vibes we have currently and where we want to bring it and what kind of coaching staff change we're going to do. There's no way for us to know. So it's an episode of hypotheticals. We're going to try to blast through it. I did get a father time from my dad, so I got some of his ideas because he does the same thing and, uh, you know, likes to scout these players. And the main reason that we scout them isn't necessarily to stamp our feet and say, we need this guy. But it's so that on draft day, when a name is called, I understand the approach. I know what we're doing and why we're doing it. I get why Joe Douglas just drafted Denzel Mims. I know what kind of player he is and what he's going to do. And so it kind of just helps my own head 
plus all the anxiety and the, uh, you know, the excitement pre-draft. You're just like, I don't know what to do for the next two months as we're just like talking about draft stuff and hearing rumors and hearing about names and stuff. It's like, I just want to make sure that I can get my own information. But anyways, we're going to get into this thing and we're going to start with just some news on the draft. We're doing it tomorrow, eight o'clock. It starts first round. The Jets have pick number two and they have pick number 23, which they got from the Seahawks. Luckily, the Seahawks didn't have an incredible year this year. So the Jets actually ended up at the 23rd pick. When we made that trade, we probably assumed it was going to be closer to 26, 7, 8, 9. 23rd's not so bad for where uh, where we got this one. We get their pick next year as well. So it's going to be tomorrow night starting at 8 o'clock. Then Friday night, my dad's coming over. We're making nachos. Old father time in the house. Going to have some brews, but the Jets will be picking three times that night. That's rounds 2 and 3 starting at 7 o'clock Friday. And the Jets have their second round pick, which will be 34. Their third round pick, which is 66. And then they'll have their third round pick from the Seahawks from that Jamal Adams trade, which will be pick 86. So three picks there. And these are all subject to change as Joe Douglas moves around the draft board. But then Saturday, starting at noon, the Jets will have a bunch more picks. They're going to have five. They're going to have a fourth round pick, their own 107. A fifth round pick, their own 146. A fifth round pick, 154, which is from the Giants when they made the Leonard Williams trade. And it was based off of whether or not he signed an extension because they franchise tagged him. We didn't get the uh, third round pick we wanted. We get this fifth round pick here. So that's what the Jets will be cashing in. They have their sixth round pick, their own pick, 186. And then from the Sam Darnold trade, I know a lot of our assets that we're getting the second and fourth round pick will be next year in 2022's draft. But we also added the sixth round pick from this year, which is their second pick of the Carolina Panthers, 226. It's not a big number, but that's where we can go after my favorite kicker, Jose Borregales. We're going to get into that a little later. So it all kicks off tomorrow, and all these rumors and swirling nonsense that we've been listening to can finally be put to bed, and we can start, you know, pre-ordering jerseys with crazy, crazy jersey numbers for these positions now. So looking at the Jets board, it's important to know what are the Jets' needs right now. I do not think that you should draft entirely off of needs. I don't think that just because the Jets need a cornerback today, they should just go out and say, well, first, second round pick has to be a cornerback because we need a guy to start. At the end of the day, this team is built to be good for five, six, seven years. And the best way to do that is to get players that are going to be good for five, six, seven years. And you need to get guys that you are sure about. Sometimes it's a position that you don't necessarily need, but you have a very strong feeling like, you know what? I know tight end's not that important, but this guy's so good. If we could add him to the roster, that would be more impactful than having an offensive lineman that would be more helpful on paper. But if he fails and we don't have as much confidence in him, we're going to be back at square one. But the needs are important to look at because, of course... It's going to impact who's starting for the Jets and what weaknesses we have and what weaknesses are filled. When you look at it, the number one need for this Jets team quarterback, I think that is one that the Jets can't leave this draft without taking care of and it probably has to be done pick number two. And it's probably going to be either Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. It's just the way it goes. I know everyone's saying Zach Wilson right now, but it's going to be one of those guys going to be pick number two. And that basically crossed that off the board. After that interior offensive line, we're right now working with McGovern in the center, which is fine. He can shift a guard if needed. But on the sides of him, we've got Greg Van Roten. We've got Alex Lewis. Alex Lewis, the worst of the two. But these are our two weakest spots on the offensive line. So you have like a really good player in Becton and a soft spot in Alex Lewis. you got a good guy in McGovern and a soft spot in Greg Van Roten and a good guy in Fant. In reality, we'd like to have this be more sure wall instead of having some weaknesses. So replacing Alex Lewis, Greg Van Roten would be awesome. That would be one of the biggest things. Plus, if you're getting a quarterback, a guy like Zach Wilson, who's a little fragile, a little frail, 
and you want to try to build this offense and make them comfortable, you got to do what you didn't do for Sam Darnold, and you got to build a wall where they can be comfortable and actually throw the ball and see the offense develop, see the route trees go, make one, two, three reads without getting pressured. So I think that's really important. Cornerback is one of the biggest needs because, frankly, right now with Bryce Hall, LaShawn Austin, and Lamar Jackson on the outside, and then Javelin Gidry on the inside, there's not much to be confident in. That said, cornerback is going to be a slightly less important position on this defense because it's going to be focused more on the defensive line, getting after the quarterback, and then, you know, probably pressing a guy at the line of scrimmage and then eventually dropping them off into a zone, letting the safeties make sure nobody goes over top. It's not as demanding on a cornerback in this defense for what we think we're going to be running. Inside linebacker is important. We currently have C.J. Mosley. We've got a guy like Blake Cashman who's always injured. C.J. Mosley could be really good, and they're saying that he's chomping at the bit to go right now. And it could be really good for this defense, which is definitely true. But there's definitely reason to think that, you know, he could get injured again. Maybe he's not back to his former self. Maybe he's still not completely healthy. So having another guy there that's not Blake Cashman, you can be confident in being on the field. We don't have Neville Hewitt anymore. So I think inside linebacker, very, very important. Running back. We don't have any pop there. We've got Tevin Coleman. We picked him up this year. We still have Ty Johnson, who has a little bit in the, in the tank. Michael Piran left a lot to be desired last year, wasn't my favorite draft pick. And then Josh Adams, who has been a journeyman and probably will not be a starter for this Jets team. I think you want to bring a little juice, a little pop to that running game. Pretty important to me. Kicker. Kicker is very important because we've got Sam Ficken and he's no good. So I think going after a kicker, there's really only one that I like. Spoiler alert, again, Miami's kicker, Jose Borregales, Lou Groza award winner. This guy's awesome, kicked 91% last year. Didn't miss an extra point, can kick from 57 and to me, it's just like the pick number 226 feet on the board. Go get him. And then after that, tackle. Beckton, that's locked up on the left side. But one, we've got Chuma Doga as the backup swing, t- swing tackle. He potentially could be improved. You know, we played McDermott too many times last year. And then George Fant, he could be replaced because his contract's expiring after this year. And we're going to need a new right tackle for the future. He's good, not great. Do you want to take care of that now so that you don't end up going into next offseason with an actual hole saying, wow, we don't even have a right tackle, now we have to pay? It might be important to just take care of it before it's an issue because it's such an important position, especially if you have a young quarterback. Edge rusher. I know we've got some good ones. I know we added Carl Lawson, and we've got some pieces there. And it seems like that defensive line, maybe the edges, we've got so much depth. But in reality, outside linebacker is a little weak, sort of that smaller type of edge rusher. And for Robert Tyler's defense is what we've seen in San Francisco. He focuses so much on this, and we said that he didn't want to make it a strength. He wanted to make it dominant. I think he still wants to make it more dominant, the best front that he could possibly have. And so an edge rusher, always on the table with this team. Tight end. Do I like Chris Herndon? Yeah, I think that he's got some potential. He really let us down last year, getting like 13 weeks of doghouse. But he could be a good player still. That said, I'm not 100% confident that he will be. A tight end is very important to a young quarterback, a nice security blanket. They bring in a blocking tight end in Tyler Croft, who could be good but is injured sometimes. They've got, you know, Daniel Brown, Ryan Griffin. These aren't needle movers, and these aren't real security blankets. None of them are really guys that you can say, I know he's going to be where I need him to be and do it, except for Tyler Croft in his blocking game. But in the passing game, I'd like to add another guy, and maybe somebody that can do both, can be a block and pass-catching tight end, be on the field and doesn't have to come off. I think that's definitely something that they could look at. And then safety, and you look today and you say to yourself, well, we've already got Marcus May, Ashton Davis, and we added LaMarcus Joyner, so we've got three safeties. Not necessarily a need right now, 
But Marcus Mays on a franchise tag will be a free agent after the season. And then LaMarcus Joyner signed a one-year deal. So when it's all said and done, you could be looking at Ashton Davis, who we're not even convinced is an actual starter in the NFL right now. Could be the only guy under contract. You don't want to get to a point where it's an absolute need. Potentially take care of it now. If a guy falls in any round and you say this is a guy for the future, it gives you more wiggle room and it takes care of a future need. The only things really that aren't needs for this team, punter, because we just drafted Braden Mann. You don't carry two punters. We don't need interior defensive linemen. We've got Sheldon Rankins, could be for one year, could be for two. We've got Foley Fadakasi. We've got Quinn and Williams. We've got a bunch of guys that can play in there in guys like Kyle Phillips, Nathan Shepard, John Franklin Myers, guys that can shift inside. So in reality, that and punter are the only two positions that wouldn't be needs. But I think at the top, looking, again, quarterback, interior offensive line, cornerback, inside linebacker, running back, kicker, tackle, edge, tight end, safety. Those are the needs to me. And any one of those, fair game. And even if you want to draft an interior defensive lineman in the fifth, sixth round, even maybe fourth if you love them, I get it. It's not a very good interior defensive line class. But do not draft one first round, second round, third round. That would be ridiculous. Unneeded, unnecessary. Everything else in play. So looking at this stuff, who are some guys that I potentially would want to get in each round, potentially at these positions? Going through, I focused the most on quarterback, cornerback, running back, and wide receiver. Which I don't actually have wide receiver on this list. Wide receiver should be somewhere on there, uh, probably after inside linebacker, before running back. Because Jameson Crowder, his contract's going to run out. And Keelan Cole, we added him, but he's only got a one-year deal. And you're very close to being back to Denzel Mims, who is still a question mark at this point, and Corey Davis, and then Braxton Berrios. And again, taking care of these things before they come big needs, because these are important things, especially for a young, growing quarterback that we're going to have after our second pick. So getting wide receivers in there, getting tight ends, getting offensive linemen, things that can really help you and make your job easier. Yes, I would love to have a cornerback. And I think this year, 2021, the Jets will be a better team if they add a cornerback very early. That said, the most important thing for this team in 2022 and beyond is the improvement, progression, and growth, and really just the investment in the young quarterback. Something that we didn't do for Sam Darnold. Something we didn't do for Geno Smith. Getting guys in place to make the quarterback's job easier. Not necessarily making the team. This team is going to be, what, a 7, 8, 9 win team? Six wins maybe, no matter what happens? So if you're going to have a weakness, if you're going to be a six win team, you're going to have weaknesses on some side of the ball, why not have it just be cornerback? Or just say, you know, we don't have the edge rush that we need or the cornerback. We do have to go after it in the future. But at least the rookie quarterback is in a position to succeed. And the offense looks good. We just have to work on the defense. That is way more comfortable than saying the defense looks really good. But the quarterback's kind of struggling. we got to get some pieces around him to see how good he really is. That's a much, much more concerning area to be in. So for me, focusing on the offense would be very, very nice in this draft. Especially, you know, you got pick number two quarterback there but 23 34 66 86 those are the premier players that you would draft in this and I think even more than that 66 34 23 those three guys I'd like to see two of them be offensive players that are going to make Zach Wilson's life easier anybody on the offense is going to make his life easier see what Joe Douglas can do can't ignore the defense entirely Robert Sala is a defensive coach he's gonna want some guys makes sense but you gotta make the life of the quarterback easy So we're going to get into some of the guys that I like at each position and whatnot. But before that, I am going to do a father time because my dad did the same sort of thing. And, uh, you know, 
Age Before Beauty. We'll let him put out his thoughts first. So I will just read this week's submission for Father Time. We didn't have one last week, but we got one this week. All draft stuff. This week's Father Time written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. A few draft thoughts and wishes. I'm on the books as a Justin Fields fan by a narrow margin. He's accurate, and he's been successful on the biggest college football stage. He's also been on the NFL scouting radar since high school next to Trevor Lawrence. He's built like a linebacker and has the speed of a defensive back. He could be the fastest player on the field in some games. He would be a very good Jet. Zach Wilson is high risk and high reward with an NFL comp who is none other than Sam Darnold. All said, Zach Wilson, come down and sign a lease in New Jersey. Nice to meet you. I'm your biggest fan. We are, after all, Jets fans. Now for the rest of the draft. Cornerback. I believe that JD will not draft a cornerback high at 23, 34, or 66. Why? There are holes to fill everywhere, but there are some very good corners still available in free agency, like Richard Sherman or Steven Nelson. Our own Brian Poole is still unbelievably not signed. Get them on a one- or two-year deal, fill the cornerback hole next year. We'll have at least two first-rounders next year, and we will have the money to pay them this year. So draft a lineman at 23. Vera Tucker, Jenkins, who's falling due to a back issue, or Derisaw, who's also falling. There are others. Jalen Mayfield could work as a right guard for a year and move to right tackle when Fant's contract expires. Others for the 23 and 34 spots could be Zaven Collins, Micah Parsons, or Aziz Ojolari. Great players and a paper-thin linebacker group. Running backs. I'd love Najee or Etienne, but I think we can go with Trey Sermon. Fourth round. He's got the acceleration with a 1.49 10-yard split, which is 94th percentile for runners. That is what you want and need in the outside zone scheme. His top speed is not like Raheem Mostert, but he's got the pickup to get to the second level where he will have a different type of success against 200-pound corners and safeties. He played big against the Big Ten. Good competition, but doesn't have a lot of wear and tear with limited college carries. A bargain. And last, some quarter-round good ones. Cornell Powell, Clemson. Josh Palmer, Tennessee at wide receiver. Derek Barnes, Purdue, or Chaz Surratt, UNC at inside linebacker. Cameron Sample from Tulane at defensive end. Or Hamsa Nasirildeen. Strong safety, box safety, who is strong, six foot four, and can cover tight ends. He could be a good fit in the cover three that Coach Sala will use. So many choices. Enjoy. Go Jets. P.S. This could have been a book. Dot, dot, dot. End scene. Whoa, this was an awesome father time because I didn't really know what my dad was going to do. I just said, I'm previewing the draft. Talk about whatever you want pre-draft. I didn't know if he was going to focus in on quarterbacks, which he's done, and we've talked about plenty. You know, he's a little bit more on the fence for Justin Fields over Zach Wilson, but we'll be happy with either one. But to hear some of his targets and who he likes, very interesting to me. I think uh, he's right. I think that looking at an interior offensive lineman, those weaknesses, Alex Lewis and Greg Van Roten, very important. And even if there's a cornerback, unless there's maybe J.C. Horn, who's my favorite cornerback in this draft class, available at 23, if you can find a guy, like he's saying, Derisaw, Jenkins, or Vera Tucker, that might be the pick for 23. That's going to make your offensive line better. It's going to make your running game better. It's going to make it easier on the quarterback. It would be an awesome, awesome pick. He's got a pretty good interior offensive line class this year, and it would be something that Joe Douglas will probably focus on. But the other guys that he's looking at, too, those linebackers, you know, Micah Parsons, Aziz Ojalari, these are good players. Zayvon Collins, very nice. like him a lot. Um, looking at the running backs, I'm a huge Najee guy, so we talk about this a lot. And Trey Sermon's one of those guys that I think a lot of us got to enjoy last year because he exploded in those big games in the college football playoffs and right before. And we saw, like, who is this guy and where did he come from? 
Well, he was hidden below the depth chart at Oklahoma for way too long, and then he was hidden behind Master Teague for Ohio State, and eventually he comes out, gets some opportunities, and it's like, wow, this guy's really good. And he doesn't have any sort of mind-popping skills that you're just like, this guy's amazing at X, but he's very balanced. And when my dad looked at him, he's not the fastest guy in the world. But you know what? That split that he's talking about, that 10-yard split, very important because that's the acceleration. David Johnson, running back in the NFL, did not have a very good 40-yard dash time, but had a great split, and that's part of what made him successful before all the injuries. Same sort of thing here. So when you look at it, he could be a great fourth-round guy, and having those targets for those mid-rounds is very important because it's very easy to find a guy in the first round, second round that you love. Finding a guy available in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, it's a little bit harder. This is one guy that's been on my radar for a long time. My dad is starting to love him, really wants the Jets to go after him, and he might be right. He is a very good player that is, for whatever reason, not being talked about a lot. And some other guys that he likes, those later-round guys, very exciting. Cornell Powell, he's that big receiver from Clemson. Josh Palmer, I haven't watched too much on him. Derek Barnes, haven't seen too much on him either, but Chad Surratt, very raw athletic linebacker, a ball of clay that Robert Sala could use. And then Sample, my dad just started getting into this guy a lot from Tulane. And Hamsa Nasiruldin is a guy I have not watched at all yet. Don't really know him too well, but I'm definitely going to look into him now. So even for me, just getting his father time is like, all right, thank you very much, Dad. And for those of you wondering, where is the credentials for this man, this father time, to be saying any of these things? Many people don't know this because it's really shared only with me. Um, We're lucky to get these father times, by the way. I try to get him talking on here. I try to get him calling in, being on the podcast, anything like that. He always goes, not going to happen. We are lucky to get an email once every two weeks about whatever's going on with the Jets. But... For the draft process, every year, sometimes he does mock drafts. That's what he used to do. Then he started doing rankings for each position group. That's kind of how I focus on it now. But this year what he did is he's making player profiles for, like, the top 40 guys that he likes. And they're not always necessarily the top 40 guys. If he doesn't think we're going to go after Trey Lance, he's not making one on Trey Lance. You know what I mean? He's not making one on Kyle Pitts. He doesn't think we're going to get him. He's making them on guys that actually are meaningful and potentially could be New York Jets. But he's doing handwritten notebook papers that are like one or two pages of just all the strengths, weaknesses, like you would find on the website of the Draft Network or Pro Football Focus or something. My dad's just handwriting them and saving them in a pile, basically only to share with me. He doesn't want anybody else to see them. He doesn't want to put them on a website, have them available to anybody else. So he's just collecting this knowledge just so that he knows a little bit more going into the draft. And that's how he spends his free time right now, making these player profiles. So when you look at it, this guy is spending the time. He's a tape dog. He's in there. He's watching on guys looking for weaknesses, looking for those little things, those nuances, quick first steps, quick hands, specific moves, weaknesses, and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I take his opinions very seriously. And between the two of us, with our draft coverage, I go broad and look at the flashy positions. He goes narrow and looks at the boring positions, like interior offensive line and whatnot. He loves doing that, maybe because I admit that I will not. It's just not... It just can't captivate my attention enough. So I lean on him for that stuff. But um, between the two of us, we've had pretty good mock drafts. And I think that if the two of us had been drafting for the past 10, 15 years, the Jets would have a much better team than they have right now. Unfortunately, that is not the case. But still. So thank you very much for this week's submission, Dad. We missed you last week. This was a very good one. Informative, helpful, and uh, a refreshing change of pace from my perspective and opinion. So thank you very much. Before we move on, got to take a quick commercial break. All right, welcome back to This Is The Jet Life. And now here comes the meat and potatoes of this podcast episode. The real base of it all is what players do I like in each round? Who are my targets? Now, like my dad said, he could write a book on his father time because he's got so many thoughts and he's scouted so many people. 
How do you put it into so many words? And the same comes down with this. I could talk about just Zach Wilson for 40 minutes, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about a bunch of different players because I went through a wide brush on a lot of other players as well, and I've got players that I like in each round. Not necessarily ones that I'm stamping my feet have to get them, but guys that I think would be nice fits for this Jets team or I just really like the way that they play. Something about each one of these guys stands out to me. So you look at the draft, the first round for the Jets, pick two is going to be a quarterback. For me, it's Zach Wilson, a close second, Justin Fields. A little bit after that, Trey Lance. And then a bit down the way, Mac Jones. And then it goes to like Kellen Mond and Davis Mills, Kyle Trask. It's kind of the order there. But it's going to be Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, in my opinion. Any one of those, I will rally behind them and be excited. After that, at pick 23, assuming the Jets pick from all these positions that they're looking at, pick 23 will be a very interesting one. I think there are a lot of great players in the first round, and some of them are going to slip. There's always that, you know, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy who are like, wait, we thought they were going to go before Henry Ruggs, but they don't. Cleveland Farrell moves up, and every single time one of these guys moves up the board, somebody else drops down, and we don't know exactly who it's going to be. Who's going to be the guy, the Aaron Rodgers, the Laramie Tunsil, who's looking at the screen waiting, when am I getting drafted? But just in case one of these guys is available, my first choice, Jamar Chase. Never going to be there. He, Kyle Pitts, would love to have him. Patrick Sertan, great. Moving on to guys that are a little bit more likely to be available, but still unlikely. Rayshon Slater, offensive lineman, like him a lot, would be happy with him at tackle and would even move him to guard if needed. Elijah Vera Tucker, my dad mentioned him. I talked about him last week. He's probably my first choice at 23 that I think may actually be available because he is a great current tackle that would probably slide to guard and does not have many weaknesses at all. This guy just comes right in, fills that left guard spot, and probably plays it well for 10 years. Also, you know, has some experience playing tackle in case you get to a point where you have to move some people around. If you're going to go cornerback, you're going to go defense. My number one cornerback in this draft is J.C. Horn, Joe Horn's son. And I like him a lot. I don't think he'll be available. But at 23, if Elijah Vera Tucker and Rayshon Slater and those other guys are gone and J.C. Horn is sitting on the board, I may be tempted and say, you know what, even though offense is super important to me, just got to get J.C. Horn. He is awesome, edgy, aggressive, tough. Love the way he plays. Looking at an edge rusher, if Joe Douglas or Robert Sala want to go that route, I think I would go Quiddy Pay would be my first choice. My dad likes Aziz Ojolari a little bit more, but I'm a Quiddy Pay guy from Michigan. I think that he was used wrong at Michigan and uh, kind of moved all over the field. They tried to get fancy with him. Instead of just doing what he's best at, which is just a nice, athletic, good-sized pass rusher, I'd like to see him do a lot of that. And then Najee Harris, my favorite running back in this draft. I don't think they would go running back at 23. I might not want to go running back at 23. But I love Najee Harris, and his 2020 tape was so good. I mean, this guy can do everything. He can line up at wide receiver, even though he's big, strong, fast. He's my favorite running back in this draft. A lot of people like Travis Etienne for the Jets just for the scheme fit, but Najee Harris is the best running back in this class, in my opinion. Would love to get him. If they want to go with a wide receiver, thinking that Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, and Jamar Chase are probably gone and you want to look for another guy, I think Kadarius Toney is the best slot player in this draft. I am not big on Elijah Moore. He's one of those guys that I'm just really not interested at all. If he's available in the fourth round, maybe I would take Elijah Moore, but no, I'm not interested in that player. Kadarius Tony, he's the slot guy for me. You want to find Jamison Crowder's future replacement, that easily could be the guy. If you don't find the offensive linemen or skill position players that you like, and you want to go cornerback, but J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain are gone, and you want to take a chance, Caleb Farley could be arguably the best cornerback in this draft as well, up there with Sertan and J.C. Horn. The problem is he's had injuries that are kind of undisclosed. We're not entirely sure right now just how healthy he is. If Joe Douglas and the guys have decided that he is healthy, 
he could be a really good pick for us. My dad mentioned Jenkins, the interior offensive lineman, a tough sort of, you know, gritty guard that if you put him next to Makai Becton, that would be a road grading offensive line. And then another player that I think would be interesting because cornerback is such a big need is Greg Newsom. And he's a pretty good player that uh, potentially could come in. He's had some injury concerns as well. I don't trust him as much as the first three guys, but uh, definitely better than the tier behind him. Looking into round two. If we're looking into round two, a few guys, that's going to be pick 34. And that's the only second round pick that we've got. So pick 34, that's very early second round. You could find some guys slipping like a outside linebacker, inside linebacker, hybrid Jeremiah Awusa-Koromoa, who can do a little bit of everything. A stat stuffer, interceptions, pass deflections, sacks, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, tackles, tackles for losses. This guy does it all. Very good player. If he fits to, if he falls to 34, it would be very interesting. Terrace Marshall's got some injury concerns, but he's a great wide receiver. Super smooth. Reminds me of a Justin Jefferson from last year playing in that same offense. Very good player. Travis Etienne, the running back that we said might be a better zone fit for the Jets. One of my favorite linebackers in this draft, my dad loves him too, Zaylen Co- Zavin Collins. This guy's awesome. Elijah Molden, my favorite nickel cornerback in this draft. He moved up a bunch of, above a bunch of people because he's scrappy, he's feisty. He reminds me of like the Honey Badger or something and plays a really, really good nickel cornerback. I love Elijah Molden. He's one of the players that I trust the most in this draft. I just wouldn't want to go up in the first round and draft a nickel cornerback. Once you're at 34, if he's on the board and the Jets love him, I say go for it. A wide receiver that I really like, flashy, tall, can make the catches, Tylen Wallace. You want to go center, a really good, you know, interior offensive line field general, Creed Humphrey. He's the guy. You want to get the fastest cornerback in the draft, Eric Stokes. You want to get the opposite Georgia cornerback, opposite Eric Stokes. You got Tyson Campbell. He could be very good. He's a taller, a little bit lengthier, maybe better at pressing guys. Could be a better fit for this defense. But he's a guy that we could definitely be looking at in that round too. If Trevin Morig, the best safety in this class falls, he may be a guy that you're like, we don't necessarily need a safety right now, but this guy is really, really good. He is, in my opinion, the best safety in the draft class and does a little bit of everything. I would love to have him on the Jets. I know that it's not the position that we need. I just, I trust this player. My dad mentioned Aziz Ojalari. I think at pick 34, I'd be a little bit more comfortable taking him rather than thir- than 23. And then... Arguably the second best tight end of the draft, Pat Frermuth. He does a little bit of everything. He can block. He's one of those guys that, like, you know, he can be in the play on every down. He's an Antonio Gates or a Jason Witten. He's not a pure pass catcher. He's not a pure blocker. He's a little bit of both, and I think he could be a nice fit, good security blanket for the quarterback, whoever we draft. So Pat Frermuth would be a guy that I'd be looking at. You know, I spend 25 to 50 hours watching tape and coverage and reading about these guys. Might as well put something out there in the universe see if it sticks, and then I can go back and be like, hey, we got X amount of my guys. This is also the list that I'll be using. I have this all written down. This is the list that I'll be using if the draft comes on, so I know, like, hey, in round two, I'm kind of crossing names off and saying, who are my best available guys that I like for the Jets? And do the Jets go after them? So we will follow back up on Tuesday and see just how many of these guys did the Jets go after. Last year, the Jets got an unofficial four players, because I like Braden Mann as well. Um, out of the ten, they traded the the last pick for Quincy Wilson. So they only ended up drafting nine guys. Four of them are players from my list. So I think that's pretty good odds, considering how many freaking players are in college football. And you start looking at these people getting into it, and you're just like, wow, this is a, this is a big mountain to climb, trying to like learn the entire running back group to rank them all. But uh, that's what we do. 
because we are crazy Jets fans. So before we move to round three, four, five, six, and we don't have a seventh round pick, before we move on to those, we have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. This is what's on tap. And today's beverage is something crazy. I found a local brewery, Skygazer Brewing, moved to North Haven, Connecticut. One of the guys was the brewmaster, but he had a lower equity share in the company and wanted to take the company a different direction. So the people that had more stake in it split off, found another guy to brew the beer, moved to North Haven, and the brewmaster from the original Skygazer, he started his own brewery called Transcend Brewing. And I found out about it, went down there. You can't drink in there. All you can do is pick up cans, and they are a pretty penny, let me tell you. It's like 23 bucks for a four-pack. But they got some crazy stuff. They work on smoothie sours, triple IPAs, double IPAs, and uh, I guess they frequently change the beers and have a lot of different offerings. But they had one limited release that was just about sold out when I got there. It was actually the reason that I went down there. I saw this on, I think it was like LinkedIn, was just talking about this. And I was like, this sounds insane. It is called Schmucker Up Fluffables by Transcend Beer Craft. And you're thinking, what is Schmucker Up Fluffables? Well, it is a peanut butter and jelly with banana and marshmallow sour ale. Yeah, and it's as crazy as it sounds. It is a sour beer, but it's thick, 6.5% alcohol, and tastes literally like peanut butter, jelly, banana, and marshmallow. It is insane. I, I haven't had a beer that tastes like this before. I've had some, like, peanut butter stouts and some peanut butter ales, but not a sour that's got this many flavors, and it's so on the money. It tastes like you're drinking melted ice cream. Sorry, I'm putting it back in the the brumate little cooler thing that I got. I had to read the can real quick, but, yeah, it tastes like you're drinking melted ice cream, and it's 6.5% alcohol, and it's, uh, it's not going to be the thing that you show up to a party with four of them, and that's just what you're drinking all night. But, like, you have a couple people over and you want to do some flights or you want to just try a little flavor here and there, this thing is it's delicious. It's just delicious. It's a little crazy. Do I think my dad would like it? No, absolutely not. He would think this is ridiculous and horrible. But you know what? It's a nice change of pace, and when you're drinking Michelob Ultras and all these different things, and you're trying to do a, a what's on tap and keep it spicy and keep it fresh, and then somebody makes a Fluffables peanut butter and jelly banana marshmallow sour ale right down the road, you're like, all right, I think it's time to try that. So here we are enjoying Fluffables by Transcend Brewing. That is today's What's on Tap. And now we will move to round three and beyond, continuing in our format of just reading off names very briefly. Kenneth Gainwell, running back that I love in round three, he could easily be a full-time slot receiver. He is awesome. Probably the best pass-catching running back in the draft. Also got good speed, can go up the middle, good go outside. When you think about the Jets, we're all talking about the wide zone scheme that they're going to play, which means their offensive linemen split out a little bit more, and we do more like outside rushes. And typically when you do a, you know, a zone scheme, you don't have a man pulling, you just kind of like spread a little bit more in the wide scheme, and that allows us to find holes or go outside. That's probably what they're going to be doing. You need to get a fast running back. You need a guy who can go outside. Kenneth Gainwell absolutely is one of those guys. So he's a guy that I like. Amon Ross St. Brown, one of my favorite slot receivers in a very good slot receiver draft class. I like him to be a Jameson Crowder replacement. Kind of plays like that to me. He's a guy that I really, really trust. Good route runner, a little bit tough, and I just like the guy. Kendrick Green. Another good, tough offensive lineman, interior guy. He could be there if, if we don't get an Elijah Vera Tucker 
and we can't pull down a Creed Humphrey, I would definitely be looking at a Kendrick Green or maybe a Quinn Miners. Another guy I'd be looking at in maybe that third round to be, you know, interior offensive line. In third round here, we're talking again, pick 66 and pick 86. So for some of these guys, they might fit more into that 66 spot. Other guys maybe more 86, but they're all third round guys to me. Tight end Brevin Jordan, a very light on his feet, athletic tight end, very similar to like an Evan Engram in his size. So he's not going to be a blocking tight end, but he is going to be potentially a mismatch. Brevin Jordan is the best wide receiver style tight end other than Kyle Pitts, of course. The other tight end who's more similar to Pat Frermuth, Hunter Long, would there be another option if they don't want to go just like straight athletic tight end. They want a guy who can do a little bit more blocking but isn't quite as flashy with the ball. Hunter Long could be the guy. If we still haven't found a cornerback at this point in round three, I think you got to start looking at one. There's three guys that I like, and that's going to be Aitou Melifonwu from Syracuse. I like Aaron Robinson from UCF, and I like Paulson Adebo. I think in that order I would go Robinson, Melifonwu, Adebo. But one of those three guys could definitely be someone we could bring in. And then if you're looking at a wide receiver to go a little bit more outside, I kind of like Diami Brown from uh, University of North Carolina. There's two guys over there, Daz Newsome and Diami Brown, and some people like him, some people don't. I'm pretty big on him. I think that he's kind of like a Denzel Mims type, and I know we already have that. We already kind of have that Corey Davis, these bigger outside guys who are a little bit flashy, can do a little bit of everything and make the nice catch, but I trust Diami Brown, and I think that he will be a good NFL player. And those are just the kind of guys that you want to have on your roster. So Diami Brown, definitely a guy I'm looking at. Those are my biggest round three targets right now. Looking at round four, my dad mentioned it already, Trey Sermon. He is that running back that's going to be available there. Not on people's draft boards very high, but has that great acceleration. Played for a big school, good body of work, very limited carries. I think he's got like 550 career college carries because he was always a guy that was behind somebody else until Master T got injured and he had to come in and it was like, wait a minute, why wasn't this guy playing all along? If Trey Sermon's not there, we still don't have a running back and we want to grab a guy, Demetric Felton is definitely one of my favorite running backs in this draft class. Um, I have him ranked like seven or eight on my board because there's some really good guys that aren't on the list here, you know, Javante Williams and Michael Carter and whatnot. But Demetric Felton, a guy I really like for round four if, if we don't have a running back. Deontay Brown, interior offensive lineman. If we still need one of those and we still haven't found it, Deontay Brown is humongous. He is, for lack of a better word, fat. And he's got giant legs, giant tummy, giant arms. This guy is monstrous. He looks like a bowling ball. And you wonder when you watch him play for Alabama, is he good because he's so big and people don't know what to do? Or is he good because he's like a really good interior offensive lineman? And you get worried when you watch him play that like maybe he's a little bit too raw. Maybe when you're just quite that big, people have their way with you. You get caught, you know, not with a quick first step. Guys go right around you. He may have issues, but if he doesn't, and he transfers over what he was able to do playing for a lot of games with Alabama, and he goes right next to Mekhi Becton, that could be an absolutely fierce wall there. The best, probably the best blocking tight end in this draft, Tommy Tremble, he could be a guy that we go after. I know that we added Tyler Croft, but he's oft injured, and I think it's very important for the Jets to have good blocking outside guys, you know, good blocking wide receivers, good blocking running backs, good blocking um, tight ends, because that's just kind of what this system runs, at least what we think it's going to do. So Tremble would be a guy that they could look at. Ben St. Juiced, he's a cornerback that if we haven't found one here at this point, round four would be a very good one that I would have some trust in. And I mentioned him before, Daz Newsom, wide receiver from University of North Carolina. He was opposite of Diami Brown. Not quite as good to me. A little too cocky for my liking, but I think that uh, he potentially could be a decent steal, athletic guy that could get a lot done for the Jets' offense. 
going around five. A tight end that could be interesting. Quentin Morris from Bowling Green. He's kind of can do a little bit of everything. He's a pretty big guy, pretty good receiver for how big his body is. He's not super fast. He's not super athletic, but he is like sneaky athletic. He reminds me of maybe like an LG Crumpler from back in the day. And uh, he's a guy that we could go after in round five if he's still on the board. Simi Fehoko from Stanford. I did not want to look for Simi Fehoko. I was trying to watch some Davis Mills highlights just to take a look at the quarterback class, even though I know we're not going to be drafting down there. I just want to get a feel for him. And this guy just kept coming up, Simi Fehoko, Simi Fehoko. I'm like, who is this guy? So I look him up, and it's like, okay, he has declared for this draft. And essentially, he was like, worked his way up the depth chart, didn't have a ton of touchdowns or anything, but started becoming a bigger asset in the offense this year. Of course, shortened season, so he didn't get a ton of work. But this guy is fast, strong. He uh, He's just, he's got this grit and this energy to him that you just know if you put him out there, he's kind of like a Quincy Nunma type. The way, like, you know you can trust him to block. He's going to give you 100% on blocks. He's going to get downfield. He's going to try to run through people and stuff. Simi Fajoko's got a little bit of everything, and he's super raw right now. Hasn't played a ton, but I'm really excited about him. And around five or six, if they can work him in, he might he might be a steal in this draft. And I would love to get him a wide receiver just as, like, a late-round flyer. Just see what he can do. Could he bust? Absolutely. But this guy's got these, like, intangibles that I just see it out there, and I'm like, man, that's a guy I want on my team. Running back Khalil Herbert's kind of interesting. You know, he's one of those guys that might be slightly better than Michael Pirine, so whatever you want to do with that. The best fullback in the draft class. The Jets don't have a fullback other than Trevon Wesco right now, who, you know, could potentially not even be on the roster come opening day because he's not a great tight end, he's not a great fullback. But this offense has always run with a very good fullback. It's run with Kyle Juszczyk, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, and it ran with Vontae Leach in uh, Houston. Back in the day, and Vontae Leach is my favorite fullback of all time. So we don't have a fullback, really, other than Trevon Wesco. They want to upgrade him. Best fullback in the draft, Ben Mason. Another guy, Ramondre Stevenson. Not sure where he's going to get drafted, but he's like a 250-pound running back that potentially, if you shift him over to be a fullback, if you can train him to do that and he takes that role on, not sure if he would want to. But imagine having like a Mike Allsott type of guy playing fullback for you. In round five, a smaller safety that I kind of like. Jack of all trades, Richard LeCount. He's a little bit smaller, but he played for Georgia. He's got a little bit of grittiness for him in that Bulldogs defense, and uh, he looks like he could play a little bit of nickel as well. Can do a little bit of coverage, make some plays. Fifth-round pick. That's what you get. Justin Hilliard, good off, uh, good linebacker from Ohio State. Like what he does. And then Chuba Hubbard, who's like a feast or famine running back. He's made some really good plays. He's also had some really bad runs. And, uh, you know, if he's available in round five and you want to get a guy who's potentially, like, go out there and hit the home run, Juba Hubbard could be it. And then lastly, round six. There is one name that I want, and it is Jose Borregales. Jose Borregales is probably the only player that I will pound my fist for. He is the best kicker in this draft class. I've had, for some crazy reason, it is clearly Jose Borregales the best kicker in this draft class. I've had people coming at me on Twitter a couple times saying Evan McPherson may be the best kicker in this draft. Please. Evan McPherson is a far second place to Jose Borgales. Jose Borgales was a Lou Groza award winner. He was the best kicker in college football this year for the Miami Hurricanes. He kicked 91% from field goal. His long of 57, which is great NFL distance. His extra points, 100% this year, so he never had a misstep. And the most important thing, when you watch him kick, he kicks the ball straight and on a line. 
He doesn't hook it in. It doesn't wobble around. It doesn't do one of those. You know, we saw Ryan Quigley, a punter, come in and do some kicks when we had injuries. And those balls, we called them squiggles after that because his ball went squiggling in. If you're not good at kicking, it squiggles around towards the uh, uprights. When you watch a lot of the other running or kickers in this draft class, that's what the ball does. Borgalis goes straight. He is the best kicker in this class. We do not want another year of Sam Ficken. Last year, I really wanted Rodrigo Blankenship. We traded our draft pick for Quincy Wilson. Rodrigo Blankenship had not been taken yet. We could have taken him there. I said, that's the guy I want. It was clear to me. They traded for Quincy Wilson, whatever. Blankenship ends up having a great season. Looks like he's going to be a very, very good kicker in the NFL for a long time. And now we're sitting back here with Sam Ficken again. Don't make the same mistake. 226, if Jose Borgas is on the board, he's the guy to get. And if not him, I'm with my dad, Cornell Powell from Clemson, the big receiver. Yeah. Those are the guys. So I just gave you 50 guys. My dad gave you maybe five more. When all is said and done, about 250 players will be drafted in this year's college draft. I'm looking at 50 guys that I want. They're not all first-round guys. I've got first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth-round guys in there. And if the Jets, you know, that's 20% of this draft is on my list here. And if Joe Douglas leaves this thing with more than 20% of my page, I'm going to be very happy. What I'm looking for, realistically, three out of ten. Three or four of the guys on my list drafted by the Jets. And I think that is doable. And that's synergy and cohesion in the minds of myself and general manager Joe Douglas. But most importantly, these are the guys that I've looked at and stood out to me. And it's kind of nice to think that uh, maybe the thing, same thing stood out to old Joey Duggs. But basically, that's it. Bunch of names, bunch of hypotheticals. There's some rumors going on in the NFL. Teddy Bridgewater was traded to the Broncos to be the backup. Sam Darnold has kicked him out again. People are talking about potentially what the 49ers are going to do. I'm so tired of the 49ers. What the Falcons are going to do. If the Patriots are going to trade up and try to get Justin Fields. I mean, it's just chaos with the rumors and everybody. And half these teams are just trying to build up agendas and storylines because they don't want people to know what they're going to do or they're trying to use it as leverage to get another thing. And it's just like... Let's get to the draft. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m., round one, Jets picks and 23. Rounds two and three, Friday night, Jets picks number 34, 66, and 86. And then Saturday, beginning at 12 p.m., rounds four, five, and six for the Jets. Picks 107, 146, 154, 186, and 226. But again, expect Joe Douglas to trade many of these picks. He traded four or five times in last year's draft. Had great manipulation of the draft board. We talked about it all the time. Unless that was a fluke and he just had great manipulation that year, I expect he will have great manipulation of the draft board yet again two years in a row. And he will move around. He will move up as needed, down as needed, acquire picks, lose picks. But he's going to go after some players. You got people you really like? Let me know before the draft. You know, before the days comes. Like, these are the guys that I'm really looking at. Let's put our boards together. Combine our minds, big mind meld, and see what we can get for this New York Jets team because it is time for us to make the playoffs again. It might not happen this year, but we absolutely need to take steps in the right direction. If we want to make it in 2022, 2023, it's what happens in this draft tomorrow that impacts that. So very exciting. Engage with me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. As always, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Anywhere podcasts can be found under the title, Gangrene Nation podcast series title, This is the Jet Life. I will be back on Tuesday, six days from today, to break down the picks in rounds one through six. Talk about who the Jets got, how many people from the list, 
what Joe Douglas's approach is, what Robert Sala and Michael Floor and Jeff Albrecht, what everybody's thinking. Why did we go these routes? Do we make any trades for players that have already been in the league? And yeah, just a lot of fun. And at that point, we can start really looking forward to 2021. We will have our new quarterback. We'll have our new team. And then shortly after that, like two weeks after that, we're going to have the schedules released and we can really start zeroing in on training camps, training camp battles, and who's going to make this final 53-man roster, preseason, all that good stuff. It just becomes awesome. So stay tuned for all that, but enjoy the draft tomorrow for real. We don't know. We won't know tomorrow whether or not these players are busts, whether they're huge successes, future Hall of Famers, whether they're the answer or not, but the whole thing is exciting. So just enjoy it. Enjoy the moments for these kids. There's only going to be a few of them there at the actual draft in Cleveland, but more will be watching from home, and I'm sure they're going to have some screens and stuff zoomed in on them. But in reality, it's just an exciting day, a lot of fun. But I digress. I will be back here six days. Thank you for joining me for this podcast episode. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 